Hi, this is Kim Polishuk and Jen Giffen, hosts of Shooks and Giff, the podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Be sure to check out all of our other great podcasts by visiting edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with the amazing Todd Whitaker. That's right. He's written over 50 books, and today we're focused on just one of them, and it's called Dealing with Difficult Parents. This is all about how-to. It's not theory. It's not conjecture. It's all about how-to. You're going to love this, and you're going to want to listen to it over and over and over again. Thanks for being here. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Todd Whitaker has been fortunate to be able to blend his passion with his career. Recognized as a leading presenter in the field of education, his message about the importance of teaching has resonated with hundreds of thousands of educators around the world. Todd is a professor of educational leadership at the University of Missouri and professor emeritus at Indiana State University. He has spent his life pursuing his love of education by researching and studying effective teachers and principals. Prior to moving into higher education, he was a math teacher and basketball coach in Missouri. Todd then served as a principal at the middle school, junior high, and high school levels. He was also a middle school coordinator in charge of staffing, curriculum, and technology for the opening of new middle schools. One of the nation's leading authorities on staff motivation, teacher leadership, and principal effectiveness, Todd has written over 50 books, including the nation's bestseller, What Great Teachers Do Differently. Other titles include 75 Ways to Be a Better Teacher Tomorrow, 10-Minute In-Service, Your First Year, What Great Principals Do Differently, Motivating and Inspiring Teachers, 50 Ways to Improve Student Behavior, Classroom Management from the Ground Up, and Dealing with Difficult Parents. Todd is married to Beth, also a former teacher and principal who is currently a faculty member of educational leadership at the University of Missouri and Professor Emeritus at Indiana State University. They're the parents of three children, Catherine, Madeline, and Harrison. Todd, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. It's a treat for me to be here. I'm very excited and honored to have a chance to uh, uh, work with you and uh, the group today. Well, awesome to have you here, and I appreciate it. And uh, and first, let me say, wow, I mean, because it's awesome having you on the show. I've read many of your books, and they're extremely helpful when I was, you know, especially when I was a high school principal, and, and I continue to be an avid reader and follower, and uh, and especially on Twitter, because you, you're constantly there, which is cool. So it's it's nice being able to follow you there. And, uh, and I just wanted to thank you for your wonderful resources. And before we go any further, I'd like to start with this. What did you like most about being a teacher and working with kids? Um... Good question. And it was funny, we just had, I was just at a conference yesterday and they kind of had some small group discussion around things like that. Uh, Probably feeling like you make a difference, you know, that you have an impact, that your life can go beyond yours. And um, that's why I like uh, being a teacher. Uh, It's funny, I, at every place I taught, every place I was principal, I still am connected to people. I just got interviewed by a local magazine uh, here in town last Sunday, and the person was a uh, student in the very first year we opened a brand new school. Nice. And I was the principal. And it's just little connections like that are fun. I travel around the world, and I'll run into people everywhere. And uh, I assume the ones that don't like you avoid you, which is great because I wouldn't <laughs> recognize them. And, but the ones who do, 
you really have a connection with and, you know, and things like Facebook and social media let you reconnect on a regular basis. And that's incredibly exciting and satisfying where you feel like you've hopefully had a positive impact on people. That's cool. That's, and it's, that is, that, that is so uh, um, right on the money with lots of us, I think. And, and, and you're right. It is funny how social media today can make somebody, all of a sudden you get one of these things, would you happen to be the, <laughs> and, and, <Right>. uh, <laughs> and that's kind of cool. So, uh, right. um, the, uh, you know, do you have a favorite memory from when you were a principal? You know, one of those memories that reminds you as an educator of, of why you do what you do. Um, yeah, you know, it's really funny. Uh, uh, when I left the principalship and be- went into higher education, people always say, don't you miss the students? And you know what I always say? That's it. The students would have been gone anyhow. <laughs> I miss the teachers because they still are there. Nice. And, uh, you know, and not in the sense, you know, you'd have new students. So I don't mean to pretend that isn't significant, but the teachers are the ones with the ongoing relationships. And uh, so there's so many connections related to that and and things um, I'm a big believer in, in hiring exceptional people and then getting them. I remember one time I was a principal and I got an uh, assistant principal opening in my school and 14 of my teachers applied. Wow. And I was just proud because when I started, there wasn't a single one that had even had a teach a license to be a principal. And just, and I think it was partly they saw me and thought anybody could do it, but whatever. Um, just the fact that people then saw value in leadership and wanted to be leaders and wanted to make a difference. And the number of people we'd have who would do things that there, I don't know anybody else in the country that's still doing it now. And this is so many years ago and wanting to make a difference. And, and I think the teachers wanting to have a school-wide impact is really a powerful thing too, that made me feel very special and very fortunate. And any success we had was because of the people like that who were willing to uh, take risks and and lead their peers and lead their colleagues and try new things. That's awesome. That's 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 really cool. And especially because you're right. A lot of times, you know, getting back to what you said at the beginning of this, uh, um, a lot of times uh, people immediately talk about the kids. But you're right. You you get different groups of kids. They're kind of kind of coming and going. And uh, who you really have those relationships with are the the staff and faculty of the school. And uh, right, that's so cool. They. Uh, you know, if you don't mind, what I'd like to focus on is working with parents. And I'd like to start with, you have uh, Dealing with Difficult Parents, a book that's in its second edition, and you wrote with Douglas J. Fiore, originally 2001, and then a second edition was out in 2016. And a few months back, I heard you say that most teachers and administrators have never been taught how to meet, call, or talk with parents. I know that my experience was, I just kind of learned by doing. Can we start by talking about this? Sure. Um, you know, it's funny when I was a principal and I was, uh, very young, I was 25 when I became a high school principal Wow! and then I was principal of three different schools and at all three schools, I had to teach my teachers what to say when they call parents, uh, because if they don't know what to say and it doesn't go, especially if it's bad news, right. And it doesn't go well. What happens is then they become reluctant to call parents and I don't want them to be afraid. You know, I, I don't want them to uh, be uncomfortable and. And what I learned is, and even with positive referrals, positive phone calls, teaching them what to say, because once they have success, their confidence in interacting with parents just grows exponentially. But otherwise, I think we're just relying on people figuring it out on their own. And I always say the people that can figure it out on their own have already figured it out on their own. And so I think that that's where that came from. And just no wonder they couldn't do this. I'd have new teachers and what I'd I'd have a series of workshops, uh, meetings with my new teachers. But at least one of them would be they'd come in and hear me call four or five of the most challenging parents in the school because I wanted them to hear exactly what to say. I wanted them to realize 
I'm not going to act rattled. No matter what the parent does, I'm not going to act rattled. Um, and, and I, and then I, when, then when they first start making phone calls, they'd come in and I'd work with them and, and we would develop language to use. We'd practice it with each other and I'd be there while they called the parent because I could pass them notes if they needed or something because I just don't want them to be afraid. And once you have success with it, you know, if you make 25 phone calls in a row to challenging people and they work, the 26th one doesn't rattle you. <laughs> right. If you haven't made any and the first one rattles you, you don't ever want to make the second one. And I think we have to think like that as, as uh, educators. That's, that is just awesome. I, you know, it's funny because as a teacher, um, I, I, I sponsor different clubs like theater and uh, yearbook and stuff like that. It was also a goalie coach for soccer. And, and so I got to know a lot of people. And I think that kind of helped me with it as a teacher, because I really don't have a memorable <laughs> first call type thing there. But as an administrator, I do. And I even remember the conversation because I was calling um, to talk with the mom about uh, what her child uh, had had gotten into. And I'm trying to talk with her. And in the conversation, you know, she calls me a monster. <laughs> And it's like, oh, nice. Okay. Yes. I'm just calling to talk with you about, and, uh, you know, and so it's, uh, um, it, you know, it's one of those things where you, where do I go from here? Do I say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You know, and and it's, uh, it's so right on the money where you're going with this conversation. Cause you're right. If you, if somebody were to, and I got a feeling the reason why I don't remember the teacher one is because I probably had a decent enough couple first ones that, uh, made it go. Okay. Later. Um, right. And, and, and I, the reason people don't teach other people is because they don't know how. <laughs> right. And we just have a, and we just have an in perpetuity, you know, they don't know how, so they don't know how to teach you. And thus then the teachers who haven't ever been taught how become administrators who don't know how, <laughs> and then they can't teach their teachers because they don't know how. And, um, but, but once you teach people, they won't, they don't mind doing it. It's really a weird thing. Yeah. And if and if you start with stuff like positive phone calls, then just that conversation, just that initial 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 contact, the administrators doing the teaching, you get so much more practice, especially with more challenging parents. You know, you do it on a daily basis, and teachers may not talk to a challenging parent for two months, maybe not two years, but administrators have it on a regular basis. So you have to develop that. My teachers used to have scripts next to their phones that. They would keep, and then that way they could. When the parents said this, they could say this. Artists, if the if the conversation was going this way, they could say this, and they really seemed to like it. They felt like that was very empowering for them, and I was glad. And I'm sure a lot of them were better at it than me, but some of them potentially uh, may have struggled without a little bit of guidance and direction. So one of the things that I'd like to do is uh, let's kind of delve into the book just a little bit here because you're you're so right on the money with the, I and mean, that's so cool about having the script because that would have made you know people 100% more comfortable. And, uh, and even just the thought of, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, I think about the, the reasons that you said there's uh, most people don't know how to do it, so they can't train anybody else. <laughs> so you just create this right. perpetual don't know how to do it. So good luck, you know? <laughs> all right. Nice. You, know? you, want, you want to know a little background story of where this all came from? Sure. Yeah. It came from me trying to uh, call up uh, girls and women and ask them out for dates. Excellent. And it, this really sounds strange. You know, when you <laughs> think about, you know, high school or even college, uh, if I knew what to say, I'd have called girls up and asked them out all the time. <laughs> but I didn't know what to say. And if somebody could have been sitting next to me telling me what to say, I'd have been doing it. 
The, the texting world makes it easy because I have a, a chance. I don't have to respond spontaneously. You know what I mean? I can right. go to somebody and go, I'm thinking about texting this person this. What do you think about this? But on the phone, I couldn't do it. And I thought if somebody would teach me what to say, I'd be calling people up all the time. The people I call always knew what to say. They knew to say no, but I never knew what to say. And, and, and that's really where that came from. And I thought, you know, if somebody taught me, I'd have been calling girls up all the time. And so it's the same way with parents, you know, if somebody, and, and that's kind of where that came from because everything in life overlaps. That's so awesome because you're exactly right. I mean, if I'd known what to say, I would have been doing the same thing. You know, it's like, cause that's the, the fear is that unknown. What's, you know, what, if I say hi, <laughs> um, first of all, what comes next, you know, <laughs> you know, and awesome. I, that's, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing that. The, uh, you know, so in your book, Dealing with Difficult Parents, you have a couple of tenets that you introduce in the beginning, one of which is 100% of parents do the best they know how. Could you share a little bit more about this, kind of where you were going with that part? Sure. The same way I said, the teachers that know how to call parents, you know, the people that know how to call parents already call parents. It's the ones that don't know how, don't want to call parents. Parents do the best they know how. They bring us the very best kids they ha got have. You do not have a single parent that keeps the two good ones at home with them and drops off the other four. <laughs> what they do is they go ahead and bring all six. Right. And we have to realize that they're doing the very best they can. And if we approach it that way, because part of what I think we have to do as educators at times is we have to teach the parents. And, and I know that sounds very strange and there can be people push back on it. But if you're an educator and you work with lots of parents, you know you have some parents that could benefit from direction and they'd like it. Think of the world as this classroom management. Teachers do the best they know how a classroom management because it's selfish. If any of us could get our students to behave better, we would get our students to behave better. Yes. We wouldn't even hesitate. We would do it in a second because it benefits us. If parents could get their own children to behave better, they would get their children to behave better. They, they wouldn't even hesitate because it benefits them. And so we have to think like that. So both sides are working as hard as they can to do the best they can. And if we approach things in that sense, I think it makes us a little more accepting and tolerable about what's going on. That's awesome. That's just um, spot on. Awesome. We've got, uh, you know, cause thinking about that, we're both given our, our best. If we knew how to do it any better, <laughs> we, we'd probably already done it because it's in our best interest. I, I love that, you know, and, 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 since we start talking about angry parents, what I'd like to do is let's go that direction for just a minute. Cause in this same section, you note, if our goal in dealing with an angry parent is to understand why they are angry and then to convince them not to be angry, we are often doomed to failure. So right. can you talk about why and why we should, um, uh, what we should focus on instead? You know, it's funny. I do a lot of stuff on classroom management and it's really funny because that seems old school and I've learned it, it's unbelievably popular right now. <laughs> and because think about this, at least 50% of the people would be better teachers if they could manage the kids better. Right. And 100% of the teachers would enjoy their job more if they could manage kids better. And that doesn't mean they're not really good at it. But if you could do it even better, you'd enjoy your job even better. And so um, what was the question you asked now that I've gone off on that tangent, <laughs> but I had one actually connected. All, all is good. If, if, basically, what I was saying is in this note, in this section, you note it, if our goal in dealing with an angry parent is to understand why yes. they are angry right. and then right. to convince them not to be angry, we are often doomed to failure. So why and what should we focus on instead? Think about it. And I mentioned the classroom management. Think about it in this line. 
if, if I do, I do this with thousands, literally thousands of teachers a month. Um, if a student misbehaves in a great teacher's classroom, do you know what the, the new, what the great teacher wants? And so if a student misbehaves in a great teacher's classroom, do you know what the great teacher wants? People say things like to understand the core behind the student's behavior so that they could no, you know what the great teacher wants? They want the student not to do it again. <laughs> yes. Exactly. They don't need to crack the Da Vinci code. You want the student not to do it again. You're so right. And what happens is if you can get the student to not do it again, the background doesn't even make any difference. And that's so much more achievable versus being able to think you're going to lay them on a couch and be able to do these things. And I'm not making light of the challenges behind students at all. So that that's the thing. If I think I'm going to wait till this parent uh, figures out how to do it correctly and they go back and revisit their own childhood and, and they have more success before we can, it's, it's, we're never going to move forward. And so I don't need to solve it as much as we need to improve it. I always say, I don't need to change your beliefs. I need to change your behaviors. And I have a much better chance of changing your behavior than I'm ever going to have changing, changing your belief. That is so awesome. And you're right. It's, it, as <laughs> I can see how much it would be in demand, but it also is a, an old school thing. And it's so, it's so cool because it's, it's, it's so right. I think people get caught up in the weeds of trying to figure out why you, you know, what is the reason why you do this? You know, tell me about your mother, you know, that type of thing. And, um, and instead it's really just, I don't want you to do this again so we can move on and I can, you know, get you to start figuring out the content and stuff. Awesome. The, uh, this is funny. I teach bus drivers how to manage kids. Yes. They don't have time to understand the background information. They just need to, you know, we think it's hard to manage 25 kids sitting in front of us. Try managing 66 behind you while you're driving a school bus. Exactly. But, but if I can teach them how to manage the kids better, they like their jobs better. Yeah. They're nicer to the kids. You know, I mean, so we have to start there all the time. And I think if we don't start there, the complicated things never get solved. That is so right. You know, it's interesting because I've, I've worked with bus drivers too. And, you're, you know, it, if you want to talk about something that would drive you insane and have all those kids behind you and some of them playing the game of whether you know them or not <laughs> when right, you look sure. up in the mirror, you know, <laughs> as opposed to the ones in front of you who think that you don't know them. And so do you, can you figure me out which one's causing you right. the issues? Right. Yeah. That's good stuff. The, uh, um, so one of my favorite chapters is chapter six. It's called positive communication with parents and ounce of prevention. And that's the part that I really love the most an ounce of prevention. Could you talk a little about staying in touch and good communication with parents? Yes. And I think this is truly essential. And this is where I even want teachers to start with contacting parents because calling with good news is always more likely to be accepted in a positive way than calling with bad news. And the thing I always say is you have to build, you have to have a relationship before you need the relationship. If my first contact with a parent is negative, I cannot build that relationship and utilize it in the same phone call. And so I need to make a positive phone call first. You know, my teachers were so smart and we, but we had to teach them how to make positive phone calls. What do you say? How do you say it? Who do you approach? What if they get the answering machine? What do you, because if not, then we're hesitant to do it because we don't know what to do. Um, you know, what if I get the younger brother and nobody else is there? What do I say? Do I leave a message? Is that going to worry the parent if I leave a message? You know, I, I all of those type of things. So, um, one of the things that was really critical was we always tried to make a positive phone call before we needed to make a negative phone call. And with some teachers, 
good ones that have students that are challenging, we knew we'd better make a phone call in the first half hour of the first day of the school year. And I would have teachers to go, Todd, could you cover my class? I better call Billy's mom quick because I need to make a positive phone call before I need to make a negative phone call. Um, and at the elementary level, it's pretty easy to understand if you think about it. if you have 25 kids to contact the parents before the school year starts just to tell them how excited you are that their child is going to be in your class. My last school, we had about 1,300 middle school kids, and we had, believe it or not, we had a group of students that would go in, like students would make the phone calls, and invite all the parents to back to school night. Oh. And there was a personal phone call. Cool. And 1,300 families. And we gave the kids a script. Now, why did we give the kids a script? Well, it was middle school. Right. <laughs> and if you don't give the kids a script, every third phone call is going to include the word thunderbutt. And that's not really an inviting term. <laughs> And the kids knew would invite them to open house night. Well, the reason we want everybody at open house night is because the, the, the only purpose of open house night is the glad hand. Right. And I want to build a relationship. I want my teachers to build relationships before they need them. And open house night needs to be before school starts, if at all possible, or the first or second day of school, because if you wait any longer, you're not undefeated anymore. And open house night evolves into mini parent teacher conference. And, and we don't want that. The other thing we started doing was making positive phone calls. And I started as a principal where teachers could write, get, send positive referrals to me. They'd write a kid up for good things, put it in my mailbox. I'd pull it out of my mailbox. I'd call that student down to the office and then I'd pick up the phone and call their child's parent. And I'd brag on them to the parent with the student sitting there. And then I'd write the teacher a note about what the parent's reaction was, how excited they were, how they said it was the first time they'd ever heard it. Well, I did this for two years, and then my teachers on their own decided to make one positive phone call a week. And then we had to work on how do we make that phone call? What is this like? What does praise even mean? And, and the teachers would start doing that. And then all of a sudden, it became the whole school working on this versus just the principal working on it. But it started with me because the teachers, I wanted the teachers to see the value of it, to get the positive feeling. You know, when I write a note to a teacher and say, thank you so much for the positive referral, the parent said, this is the first time the school's ever called with anything good and that you literally have made their week. And I just wanted to know what a positive impact you have. That encourages the teachers to step out and try to do that same thing. But that was not my purpose. My purpose is just to be a liaison originally. And it just kind of evolved into that. So I got to ask, how did you get so smart at, at the age of 25? I mean, in, in this role, I, I mean, and, and what I'm really asking is, you know, what a cool thing I, I um, to, to, be that role model for your teachers in this, in, in doing this. Well, I, I think you're giving me way too much credit. It, it, <laughs> I think some of it's truly insecurity. Gotcha. I, I don't want to deal with a parent when they're mad or I want to try to minimize. I want to try to build a relationship. So how can I, what can I do to try to establish that? Um, why do I teach the parents, the teachers about calling parents? Well, because if they call the parents wrong, they're more afraid to call parents. They tick the parents off and I have to do more. And I don't mean it in that selfish, but, but that's where that comes from. Right. Think about the insecurity of me thinking, I wish I'd have had a script when I was calling girls, <laughs> you know, yes, it's, I, it's that same insecurity. And, and why is it? And I think, I think we're all in eighth grade. <laughs> This is an awesome analogy because I think you're right. You know, it's funny because yeah. I have to say this before I, I I let go of this thought because, oh my gosh, yes, uh, I'm so wishing right now because there's sometimes when you'd sit down with a teacher and you'd go, I wish I'd been a fly on the wall when you sh were starting to send that email or starting to have that conversation because I would have held up cue cards or something. And you're right because if you train them and create the scripts, right. 
then you, right. you end up with less stuff like that on your plate. So <laughs> the other thing that's funny is there there isn't pushback if you can actually help people. Right. And and I and I always tell my teachers one thing I used to always say is I'm not smart enough to think of two things that'll work, but here's one just in case. I don't care if you do it, but here's one just in case. Because you may have something better than me. And if you have something better than me, why would you do what I suggest? You'd be stupid to do it. <laughs> but if you don't, here's one just in case. Here's one thing that's going to work when you're dealing with a challenging parent. You may have a better one, but here's one just in case. My teachers liked having at least one just in case. We don't need two things that work. We need one thing that works. That's this is so powerful, and I hope anybody listening, you know, you remember, you can go back and listen to this over and over again, um, and uh, I'll have, uh, you know, because I think this is something you're going to want to do, <laughs> uh, especially if you're out jogging and stuff like this. You're going to want to listen to it again when you're uh, um, when you're sitting where you can take notes. If, if you think about it, if you're at home by yourself on a weekend, you never sit in the second most comfortable chair. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you only sit in the most comfortable chair. So what I have to do, if I give teachers a better way to do it, they'll never do the second best way. That's awesome. Yeah, it, they won't. Yeah, and what right. happens is they're doing their best way right now. Right. But if I give them a better way and I let them choose to do it or not, it doesn't matter. You know, it's their, it's their life. If they have a better way of doing it, great. But if not, people don't push back when you give them something that'll help them. They, they do not push back. You are so right, and that is so so right there for, and so helpful because it, it, you know it, it's something that's going to make it easier. It's going to make it work for you. Um, then you're right; the the pushback is going to be non-existent. You know, you know, th throughout this this book, there are suggestions for how to, and and so like at, at the conclusion of chapter eight, this is said: keep in mind that there is not one educator in your school who wants to contact a negative parent. Just remember that the good people do it anyway. And so you've been focusing on this, and this is this is such a cool thing because, you know, I think that uh, you know one of the problems we have a lot of times is that the teachers really don't talk to each other about this, and uh, you know and the ones who probably do it well sometimes feel like you know I don't want to be the teacher to think I'm telling them what to do, and then the others are afraid to ask because then it makes them look like they don't know what to do and weak. Do you have some suggestions for overcoming that to get them to talk with one another? Yeah, and I think there's a couple ways to do it. It's interesting. I mentioned with bus drivers, okay, working with bus drivers. I'm the principal working with bus drivers. They're not even employees of the school district. They work for a transportation company. Oh, wow. You're thinking, how on earth can I communicate with them? <laughs> sure. Let's, okay, let's say I'd like to get a bus driver to try a new idea, but I'm just the principal. We don't even have a relationship. You know, they're, they're employees of a transportation company. They're not even employees of the district. But I get on a bus and I go, I was wondering if I could get your help with something. The other day, a bus driver told me one of the things they do is they do this. And I never even thought about that idea. What do you think about that idea? What's interesting is that bus driver I'm talking to feels no defensiveness. I'm not smarter than the bus driver. This other bus driver is smarter than both of us. It's a way to approach people. You never approach people from above them. They immediately resent you. You approach people from their level or below them. Is, I don't know. Is, does that make any sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> Think about this. I'm talking to my teachers and I go, you know what the teacher told me the other day? They told me when they call parents, they say this. I never even thought about that. How do you guys come up with this stuff? Is there any defensiveness on any the part of any teacher in the room? 
No, not whatsoever. No, not whatsoever. Nope, none whatsoever. And I go, how do you get this? Why don't we pair up and just kind of run some ideas by each other? Because I learned so much from you all. It's incredible. That's- how would you say? And I have I have little activities we used to do in faculty meetings. And I go around when I present, I use these with teachers and I teach principals how to use them with their teachers. I teach teachers to use them. And it's about parental contact. Uh, can I give you a quick example? Yes, please. Okay. I, if I have a teacher come up to me and say, my class is, I'm a, I'm a principal, okay? I have a teacher comes up to me and says, my class is completely out of control. I say to them, is your class completely, your, I say, so your class is completely out of control? Well, they say yes, of course, because they're wound up. I go, so every kid's out of control? They say yes, because they're wound up. I go, so every single kid's out of control? They say yes. I go, let me see a roster. I choose the nicest kid in the class. I go, is this kid out of control? Guess what they say? <laughs> No. Well, not, no. Not, not him. I mean, not him. <laughs> I choose the next nicest kid. Is this kid out of control? What do they say? Well, not her. It turns out they have five problem kids. That's an issue because they only have four corners. You know, <laughs> if you taught in a Pentagon, you could deal with five problem kids, but instead you're in a rectangle or a square and five's one too many. Yes. We talk about what they do. I say, let's call parents. I go, here's your challenge. You have 25 kids in class. Five of those kids are challenging kids. So you have five challenging kids out of 25. You need to call parents. How many parents do you think you should call? What do you think the most po- po- uh, most uh, common answers are? Five. Five or 25. I said, I'm the principal. Would you like teachers coming to you for suggestions and ideas? Everyone says yes. I go, so if I tell them 25, <laughs> they're never going to come to me again because I've told them to do the most work possible. Okay? Right. The the people that say five, I say, if you have five challenging kids, guess what your goal is? They say, get it to zero. I go, nope. If you have five challenging kids and one of them is absent, what is class like? Well, it's better. I go, depending on which kid it is, there's a chance it's like a holiday miracle, isn't it? That that one kid's absent. Any of the five are absent, class is better. Any of the five. So when you have five challenging kids, guess what your goal is? Get it to four. When you have four challenging kids, guess what your goal is? Get it to three. You're not going to go from five to zero. If you call five challenging parents, it better work. Because if it doesn't work, you have bonded those five kids. And guess who you've bonded them against? You've bonded them against you. And potentially, you bonded those five parents. And guess who you bonded them against? You bonded them against you. I'm going to suggest you call one. And guess which one I'm going to suggest you call? They always say the ringleader. I go, nope. If you call the ringleader, it better work. Because if it doesn't work, you're weaker and they're stronger. You know which of the five you call? The one the parent can most influence. Don't lose sight of your goal. What's your goal? Get it for. Is it? I have a question for you, Steve. Do you find it much more appealing to come to me and get that advice than the advice of call five or call 25? You got that right. You got that right. And you're not near as afraid to call the fifth most challenging parent. And you and I are going to work on the language anyhow, and I'm not leaving you that way. But all of a sudden, and then the other thing to understand, if you call the fifth most challenging student and and don't email them, don't threaten to call parents, don't talk about, if you threaten to call parents, students will run home and prep their parents against you. Yes. <laughs> and so what happens though, you call the fifth most challenging parent, you know, the parent, that parent has a conversation with the kid. That kid's going to text, email, Yelp, Snapchat, Viber, Voxer, Instagram, Periscope, uh, Marco Polo, or see their buddies the next day. And they're going to say, Hey, that idiot teacher called my mom. My mom said she couldn't care less. They're going to lie and say, my mom said she couldn't care less. My mom said she's going to make me a pie. That's how little she cares. So what did your mom say 
when that teacher called your mom. Do you know the most powerful thing the other four students can say to that student? What's that? She didn't fall. Yeah, yes. Do you see how you get it from five to four? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know what's amazing? The second vulnerable student of those five just heard me explain that, and that other student took care of them. You're down to three, and you've only made one phone call. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and that's what you teach people. And right. it's way less scary. You calling the five. Because here's the thing, Steve. I don't want you to call five parents unless you absolutely just really want to do it. Because I'm not trying to keep you from it. So don't, you know, if you feel like it. Because if you call five parents and four of the phone calls go well, the only one you'll remember is the one that didn't. And now you're more afraid of parents than you were. And I don't want that to happen to you. It's too important. That is so awesome. Because I could just, as a, as a teacher, understanding this differently. Instead of I've got this massive, you know, mountain of work that I got to do because I got to figure out how to get these five kids to not cause my issues. Um, it's one at a time is so much less, um, less, not heartbreaking, but, you know, less angst less, building and so forth. Sure. Very much so. And the other thing is when I have people who are not behaving correctly, I want them to feel lonely. Right. I want them to feel like they're the only one. That's way more pressure than going, you and a whole bunch of your buddies. That's crazy. And instead, the other thing is we have to realize we need to beat the kid home if at all possible. And people go, well, they all have cell phones. That's right. But I'm not going to tell my mom unless I think you're going to tell my mom. Right on the money. So if you don't <laughs> threaten to call my mom, I'm not going to prep my mom. And And I always say this, and it's so critical. The phone is your best friend unless it's ringing. I love this conversation. This is, you know, it, <laughs> this is so, um, so right on the money. Cause you know, too often that that's, you know, that, that there's the idea that the, the adult is going to, you know, make them go, Ooh, you're going to call my parent. And instead what they're actually doing is <laughs> making them go, um, intercept them. <laughs> and say, sure. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the warning. They were good. <laughs> right. I still remember the days when I could convert bees to D I mean, D's to bees on the report card. You know, I mean, it's the, <laughs> It's, it's a similar thing. And it, it's, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I, it's one of those things that I think is the clearest thing in the world. And I've always thought like this. And I realize that not everybody else thinks like this. And, uh, but once they think like this, they, they don't think the other way anymore. And I think it's very, it's very comforting for them. That's, that's incredible. And that's just right on the money because you've got to, you've got to change your way of thinking. And once you do, then it's also, it's not this, you know, just, you know, it's not a Mount McKinley, it's not a, you know, a giant mountain to overcome. It's instead, it's, it's something that is very doable and, and it does help you chip away because once you start, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how, uh, the, the smaller group is much easier. The, you know, one at a time is much easier to deal with and it does have that impact, which is so right. cool. So, right. And then, and then three challenging students is there's no easy in education. So I don't ever want anybody to quote me on that, you know, in that sense, <laughs> right. but three students, is way different than five challenging students. It just is. It so much is. Yeah, it's uh, no. thinking back to the days of uh, uh, classes and having large, large numbers of kids in a class, and and uh, you know just being able to narrow it down to one is is so powerful. So that's cool advice. Thank you so much, and so usable. You know, and and I. I hope that uh, the listeners will go back and just and just make this part of uh, just replay this section over and over again as you, you as you get prepared to uh, change your strategy and how you're you're addressing those those difficult children in your class. You know, uh, you know, my favorite chapter is chapter twelve, and it's 
Do you feel defensive? If so, something is wrong. <laughs> I love this title, and I love what you get into here. This chapter sends a strong message. Can you just give us a, a little summary of your thoughts in this chapter? Sure, it, and it really is. I mean, the, the whole chapter really is the title. You know, it, I think the thing that I work with lots of new teachers. My girls and I have written a book called Your First Year for First-Year Teachers, and we work with thousands and thousands of new teachers. And they uh, people are always going, what's the one piece of advice? Well, if there was one piece of advice, the book would be a lot shorter. But <laughs> one of the things I think that's essential is trust your gut. Trust your gut. Think of it this way. I, I truly believe that we never we never yell. I, I just truly believe that, that, that we don't do it at home. We don't do it at work. You know, I'm a former basketball coach, and I believe we don't yell. And I believe we don't do it with students. That, that I, and I think that no teacher got into education to yell. If a new teacher, you know, is, gets frustrated with their class and they hear the teacher next to them yelling, that's been added to their pool, their, to their toolbox now. So they try yelling with their students. What's interesting is I really believe that teacher, the first time they yell, they feel funny. <laughs> they, they don't like that. They didn't get an education to be that, right. but there's a chance it sort of worked. You know, it's called short-term pleasure syndrome. There's a chance that it sort of worked, you know, immediately. And if they trust their gut, they're not going to yell again. They're going to go, I don't want to feel like that. I got to figure out some other alternative. If they don't trust their gut, they're going to yell again the next day. And it's not going to make them feel near as queasy as it did the first time. And all of a sudden, they're in their seventh year. They don't even think anything of it. They think the kids deserve it. They think that's what they're supposed to do. And they're going to get a student teacher. And their student teacher is going to think that's right because they see that teacher do it. It's the same way when I'm dealing with a parent. I always say the key to a difficult conversation is make sure it's difficult on the correct person. If I didn't do anything wrong as a teacher, I'm, I'm not going to feel defensive. But what happens is if the parents are saying certain things and I start to feel defensive, it's almost always because there's a piece of them that's right. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this in this tone. Sure, the student was not behaving, but I should not have responded by rolling my eyes and making a smart aleck comment. So I think that you have to be very self-aware in the fact that if you're feeling defensive, there's a really good chance that it was something you did incorrectly. And, you know, one of the things I like to say is the best way to get in the last word is to apologize. Excellent. And so, but it's trusting your gut that if you feel, I say, never be defensive, never be offensive. And, um, you know, and then the, the challenging parents are really good at figuring out ways to trip your trigger. They're really good <laughs> at it. They have a lot of practice because they get to practice being disrespectful every day of their life. Which is rough because it, you'll fall right into that if that's not something you're you understand or used to or anything like that. Right. So, right. And if you don't have the language to get out of it, you know, if you don't have the language to change the conversation, if you don't have the language to to do that, then your only choice is to not contact them and then email them. Right. And you never want to email the bad news because two things: one is they're always going to wait and get their kid's side of the story before they email back, and that's right. the opposite of what you wanted, anyhow. And the other thing is, if you email people, then potentially they can cut and paste any little pieces they want and use it in their advantage. I'm talking about the real negative people that would use it, you know, right. as a weapon. Right. And just don't want to do that. And in addition, another rule in life is you never deliver bad news in writing. The worse the news, the more effort that has to go into delivering it. It's way too personal to deliver bad news in writing. It's just inappropriate. You got that right. That's 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 rough. That would be, uh, you know, reading an email and going. Oh, isn't this special? <laughs> Thank you so much for, you know, connecting with me here this if way. <laughs> if you interview for with me for a job and I'm not going to hire you, I owe you a personal phone call. That's good. 
And I can follow up with a letter, you know, but I didn't deliver bad news in writing. You know what I mean? You already knew. I told you we select another person where a difficult thing is there may be a letter. I mean, I might even say, and there'll be a letter coming just with the same information, but I just wanted to let you know personally, because I, I appreciate you taking the time and care and concern to come and want to be a part of our organization. And I'm just sorry that it's not going to work out currently at this time. I think that means more in my opinion. It does. It really does. Just like, you know, and it's funny because I've had, parents say to me, I appreciate you giving me a phone call. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's so much, so much better, especially, you know, and especially those situations where they do know your voice because you have had lots of conversations with them. Um, sure. Yeah. Some on speed dial. I understand that. <laughs> yes. Right. I, I think the other thing about this is that, um, no, I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. You might want to edit that little thing out there right there. Not a problem. So, so, you know, one of the things you started to go, you, you started to go with was, uh, um, and, and you kind of touched on it a minute is, and so I want to throw it back in there, which is, you know, in chapter 10, it's what if the parents write? And you, you have this little section where there's a little subtitle saying, sorry, seems to be the hardest word because um, yeah. your advice is to apologize. So can you just right. touch on I, that? And I think there's two components of it is one is I always say when you're having a difficult conversation, make sure you're not the one that's difficult. <laughs> yes. You know, when you're dealing with a parent, make sure you're not adding fuel to the fire. One time I had somebody go, uh, they go, Todd, what do you do if a parent starts cussing at you? And I told them what I do. And, and I go, what do you do? And they go hang up. <laughs> and I said, the issue now becomes your behavior, not the parent's behavior. Yeah. And I want the issue to be the parent's behavior, not your behavior. You know, it's the same way as a teacher. I don't want a teacher to respond to rudeness or inappropriateness from students because the issue now becomes your behavior, not the student's behavior. And the issue needs to be the student's behavior. So that ability to apologize. Um, one of the things that I do all the time, it's funny as a principal, you know, I'd suspend kids and I'd have parents who'd be upset. And, you know, and one of the things I always say is, I'm sorry that happened. I wish that hadn't happened. I sure I'm sorry that happened. I apologize that happened. I'm so sorry that happened. I wish that hadn't happened. And I used to teach my teachers this and I go, they go, that's disingenuous. I go, it's not disingenuous at all. Have you ever dealt with a difficult parent? Every teacher raises their hand. I go, have you ever dealt with a difficult parent that you weren't sorry it happened? Because you're always sorry it happened or you wouldn't be dealing with that difficult parent. I didn't say you were wrong. I didn't say that there wouldn't be consequences. I didn't say that I wouldn't do the same thing again in the future, but I'm still sorry it happened. If I'm a teacher and I, uh, I teach second grade and the nicest second grade girl in the world running across the playground trips, falls, and skins her knee, I'm sorry it happened. I didn't trip her, right? but I'm sorry it happened. If a student cheats on a quiz or a test or a homework assignment, I'm sorry it happened. Yeah, that's so, that's so powerful because it's... It- because uh, you are, I mean, and you should be, if you're, if everything's right. right upstairs, I mean, you're, you should be, because this is why, you know, you're, you're working with the kids, you're working, doing things and all this sort of stuff. And, and then for some reason they go out, of, you know, they make a left turn at Albuquerque type thing. They, you know, they, uh, um, sorry, old reference here, but the, uh, you know, they, they, they just didn't, uh, um, you know, you didn't see that coming and they do something and you had no control over it and you are sorry because you did, you know, why didn't I see this coming? Why didn't, why didn't I see this happen? And I, I've got any number of a lot of those that I could think about right now where you're looking at a parent going, I'm so sorry that I call you. And you know, a lot of times when you, when you talk with a parent in this manner where you're having these types of conversations, what actually ends up happening is, you know, you do end up having a decent conversation because they do know that, you know, it, you didn't make their kid do whatever it was. So. Well, it's also very diffusing. 
And the other thing to realize is the parents, sorry, it happened too. I don't even need them to say it. That's great if they can, but there's a chance they're stuck in sixth grade rather than eighth grade and they don't have the capability of doing it, but they're still sorry it happened because neither one of us want to have this phone call. Right. Very much. You know, so I'm saying, I'm just so sorry it happened. If a, if a kid comes late to my class and I'm a teacher, I'm sorry it happened. There may be consequences, but I'm still sorry it happened because think about it. If it didn't happen, I wouldn't be having to deal with this. And, and it, it, that's a, that's a way to keep my power. Now, if I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. I was wrong. I handled this incorrectly. But if I have a parent who call, I'm a principal and they call me about a child, their child getting bullied. Guess what I say? I'm sorry that happened. It's amazing how connecting that those words are. I wasn't bullying him. You know, I don't even know what they're talking about till now. And I'm not going to say that because that, that's defensiveness related to the fact in my mind, I'm going, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I'm still sorry it happened. And that can be such a connecting point as we try to move forward. Yes, so much so. Excellent, excellent advice. Do you, you know, uh, one of the things, and I, I, you made reference to this before, I, so I hate <laughs> trying to sum everything up like this, but if you were to, you know, after um, listening to this talk or if a teacher uh, or administrator um, was reading this book, um, if, if a teacher or administrator were to read this book, what, you know, what would be something that you would want to make sure that they reread and made sure that they understood, you know, if there's, if, you know, that one, like you said earlier, that one takeaway, you know, if they were, if they were really, uh, reading, dealing with difficult parents, what, what, uh, what would be that takeaway or something or that chapter you'd say, just please make sure you read that, that section again. Um, well, believe it or not, I've never read the book. So keep that in <laughs> mind and that makes it a little harder for me. And I wish I was joking, but I'm not. Um, well, it's good. Just, okay, so I'll rephrase that. How about is there that one thing you'd like them to take away from this? Just understanding dealing with difficult parents. I'm going to give it more power and control than that. This is something for the world, and people can be upset that I'm going to say this, and you can decide whether or not you want this in your podcast or not. The first thing we're always going to look at is our own behavior. It's amazing. If we don't have difficult teachers, it's incredible how many less difficult parents there are. And I want all of us to reflect on our own behavior and make sure that we're not the difficult one. You know, it, it, it's, it's hard to understand. And sometimes a building leader has a little more perspective than this, but, but if they're not good, they don't have any more perspective than this. Parents don't complain about the best teachers in a school. And, and I don't mean never, but I'm close to never. I don't mean irrationally, but it's, but it's close to that. They complain all the time about the teachers that struggle and are ineffective. So the first thing I would want people to do is to, to build their own skill set up to get to a certain level so that that look how much more confident that gives you that you feel like you are doing the right thing. One of my daughters, we've written a couple of books. One of my daughters uh, said, if you have trouble relating to parents, if you have trouble uh, connecting to students, if you have trouble getting motivated to go to work, run in the bathroom and look in the mirror. That's not the last place you look, but that's the first place you look. So if I find myself repeatedly dealing with challenging parents, I'm thinking, what is it that I'm doing? And it's so easy to rationalize it's kids today or it's parents today. But you know what's really interesting? I promise in every school, there are some teachers that are having more success than others. 
And if they're having more success with the same kids in the same environment, with the same budget, with the same leadership in the same community, I would be first thinking, how can I become more like them? Because then that makes me so much more confident when I deal with a challenging parent that it truly is the parent that's being unrealistic versus it's me that's being ineffective. And, and that, no, that isn't a slam at anyone. It just, it has to start there. Um, I was dealing with somebody the other day, a principal who goes, you know, I, I've hired these teachers and they do this and I've hired these teachers and they do this. And I, and they go, what's the problem? And I go, who hired these teachers? <laughs> you know, it's that same thing. It's, it's that first self-reflection piece. Yes. And if we don't start there, pointing fingers isn't going to get us anywhere. And I'm not pretending, and you know, I didn't write a book on dealing with difficult parents because I don't think they're a difficult parent. So please keep that in mind. But I, 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 there are way less difficult parents, the more effective we are. So let's start there. And then the book's designed for you're there. Now, what do I do with the ones that really are the difficult parents? That's awesome. I, I can't say enough about what you just, just said. I mean, it's starting with us looking at you, that type of thing is uh, right on the money. And, uh, and, and then the advice that you give in your book. So good stuff. The, uh, and I, I hope that everyone will re-listen to that. And, you know, I don't know, maybe we need to have a mirror someplace in the, in the room where we can look at that, that mirror real quick before we uh, start class or make that phone call or send that email. <laughs> um, you know, um, and it's think about it. You know, you go in a, a, a store, uh, some retail store, or a waiter or waitress or whatever it is, ser you know, a server, and people get mad at them. Understand that could be an irrational customer, but do you know there's also more likely to happen if that clerk rolled their eyes, if that clerk sighed, if that clerk, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying it's correct to treat the clerk like that, so please don't do that. Well, what's funny is you also have clerks that smile, disarming. How can I help you? Right. And isn't it amazing how much less likely it is for people to react negatively to that person? You're right. You're and, right. And the one customer every three months might, but the other people get it every day. And it's because we're a piece of the negativity and the dynamic that's taking place. So to the degree possible, start there. And I think that your life becomes a lot better. And the kids deserve that anyhow. Most definitely. That, excellent. Excellent. Thank you. You know, it, um, one of, what I want to do is, is we're coming to a close now. Um, do you want to say a word or two about your most recent books, Essential Truths for Principals and Essential Truths for Teachers, or something that you're working on or something new you got coming up? Um, well, I've always got a lot of stuff I'm working on because uh, <laughs> I always say I've written tons of books and two of them are good and your job's to figure out which two. <laughs> nice. uh, I think they're uh, all good. Most of my books take about one average restroom visit to finish. So keep that in mind. <laughs> Um, thanks for that I, analogy. I, there. I, one, of, one of my goals in writing, and this does not mean I've accomplished it. So it's okay. It doesn't hurt my feelings for people to, one of my goals in writing is I don't want anything to be a joke in three years. I don't write about things that are acronyms. I don't write about things that other people say, this is the most important thing in the world. But two months from now, they're going to say, no, wait, this is the most important thing. And so that's kind of where the essential truths come from. You know, the, I, I want to do things that are timeless. Um, you know, dealing with difficult parents, we can talk about parents nowadays and I don't disagree, but you understand dealing with difficult parents could have been written 75 years ago and can be written 75 years from now. Most definitely. Um, and, and that's the type of things I do. And that's what essential truths. And I wrote with Danny Steele. If any of you know, Steele thoughts on Twitter, 
um, who has a big picture dynamic related to that. Um, and I, and so that's kind of what I try to do. I'm also working on a book, uh, that I don't want to say the title because the title's so good. Somebody else will use it because the book's probably going to be stupid, but it's got a great title. Um, and so, but those are two of my latest. I've got another book on culture coming out for ASCD with uh, Steve Gruner. Uh, if the book's done, I'm not sure when it'll be out. I think a couple months, maybe summer. Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, I, I write stuff cause it gets in my mind and I've got to get it out before my head explodes. And, uh, so, and sometimes it's, it's in response to other people's books, you know, people will talk about change and they'll write a book about, here's what we need to change to. And here's why we need to change. And I say, everybody knows what we need to change to. And everybody knows why they don't know how. That's it. And my book, Game of Difficult Parents, I'm not trying to break down an understanding of difficult parents. I'm trying to help you be able to deal with them. Yeah. I love it. And, uh, and if you can deal with them, it helps you understand them more. They understand you more. Maybe you can build a relationship then. But in the meantime, I got to call this parent. So what am I going to say? Right. That's what I love about your books. I, your books are how, and it, they're easy. They're easy to read, understand, and then to use. And, uh, right. and they give you ideas and, and on how to use them. One other thing, and I just forgot about this. My, uh, my daughter's and I had a book called Your First Year for First Year Teachers, which has been unbelievably well-received. And I waited till both of them were done with their first year. And one's elementary, one's secondary. But nice. they are also classroom management machines, and their personalities are nothing alike. <laughs> nice. My, my, one of my daughters is just like me. We are wound. I mean, this <laughs> is me. I'm not allowed to have caffeine in 11 states. <laughs> and my other daughter's blood pressure is four. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> right. it is four. And they, the things they both do, though, overlap so much. And that's when we wrote a book called Classroom Management from the Ground Up. And that may sound like an old title, trite. But I think if you read it, there's different ways to look at classroom management that maybe we've never looked at before. And we break it down into components so that you can think, what do I do? And then also, what do I do when this doesn't work? What do I do with the most challenging kids? What do I do with? But it's it's pretty practical and and, and pretty uh, spot on. And so I just would, thought I'd mention that, but it's called Classroom Management from the Ground Up. And uh, um, we I want people to enjoy their jobs, and I want people to be able to get the students to do what they need to do and be engaged in a proper fashion. And that's why we wrote that book. And it's from two girls that are masters of classroom management. I'm just kind of the stooge. That's excellent. And I've, and I've read the book and I, I actually had a difficult time because I was, I was going to split this conversation between um, difficult parents and, uh, and classroom management. I ended up choosing to go just the one direction. So yeah, maybe, one, maybe one day I can get you to, we can have that conversation on just that book or get them to talk with me about it. That would be you awesome. You know what you want to do? Get a hold of them. They'll do it. They're better than I am. We present all the time now together. Okay. Or a lot of time together. And now they're so good at presenting when I'm with them, I feel like I'm nothing but eye candy. <laughs> nice. Excellent. That's My awesome. My wife always says, trust me, you're not eye candy. But that's a <laughs> personal hurtful thing. <laughs> Excellent. The uh, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, where do you want to send them? Where do you want them to go? Yeah, I have a website, toddwhitaker.com, and my contact information's on there. And I don't have any people, so you're stuck with me. <laughs> the other thing that I'd love to hear from people is uh, uh, on Twitter, and my handle is at Todd Whitaker, uh, spelled T O D D W H I T A K E R. And I'd love to connect with you that way. And all that information's on my website, toddwhitaker.com. And um, I just love uh, having a chance to interact with people. I present a lot. And so I, it's fun if I can connect with people that we've had a chance to interact on social media or in other ways. And so I just look forward to crossing paths with uh, everybody who has a chance to hear this. Unless you don't like it, then I'm happy to not cross paths. 
Awesome, Todd. Thank you so much. And I will have um, links to the uh, to the social media, to the Twitter, and to the website on my uh, on my show notes, so um, you can find them easily. Just uh, just go there. But it, it's easy. Just pop them in, Todd Whitaker, and you're going to find them, which is very cool. Well, I'm, I'm honored and flattered to have a chance to be asked. So I hope uh, some of the things is help, or some of the things are helpful to uh, uh, educators everywhere who work so hard. And I just really appreciate what they do. You make a difference every day. Well, it's, it's been excellent talking with you. And I've got two questions that have nothing to do with your books, but <laughs> I'd like to ask them of you. And the first one goes sure. like, first one goes like this. If you had the chance to talk with 100 brand new teachers, what is one piece of advice you would want to give them about working with kids? Two things I'd say. One of them I've already mentioned, trust your gut. The other is go in and observe a f- truly phenomenal teacher because there's a chance you haven't seen one since you got into education. And, and I'm not saying you're not caring people and trying people because what happens is in every school, you have at least one person that's figured it out and they figured it out with your population, with your resources. So go and observe them. That doesn't mean your personality is the same, but try to pick up on what it is they can do because the very best people want you to be successful also. And they're going to try to help you. Those are the two things. Trust your gut and go and observe truly outstanding people, not who you get assigned with as a mentor, because there's a chance somebody did that out of convenience. I'm talking about truly outstanding people. You will learn more in that hour. Go on your plan time, go three days in a row, whatever you need to do on your spring break. If it's at a different school, maybe have a different spring break. And that there's nothing that is more powerful experience than that. When I was named principal at 25, the first thing I did was contacted an outstanding, truly outstanding principal. And I spent a day with her and I still do things that I learned from that one day of observation. Excellent advice. Excellent. I I love it. The uh, last question, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yeah, um, I'm very fortunate. One of the people that was most influential was named Doc, his name is Dr. Jerry Valentine and, and bless, it's a blessing because now I'm back at the University of Missouri where I went through and he was there. He's retired now, but he's, he's not very old. And, uh, we get to communicate and cross paths and have lunch. And he knows that the influence he's had on me is invaluable to me. Todd, thank you so much for talking with me today. I greatly appreciate all of the amazing resources that you have created for educators. And this has been so cool talking with you. I mean, I've, I've read so many and it's neat being able to, to, to uh, have this conversation. They're so helpful and easy to read. You know, you can read them tonight, understand and put to use tomorrow. I really think that all educators should read Dealing with Difficult Parents and then use what they learn. I wish you the best in all that you do. And thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an honor for me. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.